between our different readings. And so this week, I couldn't help but notice an obvious theme of persistence. It shows up in the collect that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. It shows up in the letter to 2 Timothy. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable to proclaim the message. And then, of course, the gospel reading, which uses every other word to the same effect. Now, we don't know a lot about the widow in this story, including the righteousness of her cause. In the Greek, it says she actually wants vengeance. Give me vengeance. But we do know this about her. She is incredibly, vigorously persistent. And although we are not used to listening to Jesus like this, can we hear the humor in this parable? How outlandish it is. I think for his original audience, they would have said, yeah, we know this guy, this rotten politician that doesn't care about anybody, that thinks he's not answerable to God or any other mortal. And we know this woman who has nothing to lose. So much like us, she is willing to beat down his door every day. We know her type. And then it's kind of funny, right? That this underdog wears down that rotten politician. And so I think there is humor in this. In the original Greek, the judge says, because this widow causes trouble for me, I will give her justice or vengeance so that she may not, in the end, give me a black eye by her coming. The verb there primarily means to beat black and blue. Now, the translators chose to go with the second option, which is to give intolerable annoyance. But I think the boxing metaphor is an interesting one. She's just wailing on this guy, and he finally says, no mas. It reminds me of the Bruce Coburn lyric, sometimes you have to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. And such is the widow's persistence. But here's where it gets tricky. We have to remember in hearing this parable, that the judge is not like God. The judge is a foil or an opposite for God. There's a way of talking about things in ancient literature that's called from the lesser to the greater. It's a way of comparing things. It's like if even this guy will do something good just in spite of himself, then how much more so Will God, who is good, do good things as we persevere in prayer? And the disciples are taught again and again to persevere in prayer. So while there are no obvious heroes in this comic parable, ones that we are supposed to embody or mimic, it does point quite obviously to the power of, perhaps even the need of perseverance in faith and prayer. Not because God is like the unjust judge, although we may be tempted to think that when our prayers seem unanswered, 
It is actually not clear from this parable why we need to persevere in faith, other than it is simply part of how prayer works. But then the tone shifts at the end of this funny story, sort of like when someone tells a story and then ends it with a piercing and thought-provoking question. Jesus asked the haunting question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? He seems to anticipate our dilemma, our trouble with persisting. And at this level, the lesson is similar to the Habakkuk text from a couple weeks back when I preached primarily on forgiveness. Don't worry, you don't have to remember. I'll recall briefly what that teaching embodied. To Habakkuk's plea for justice, God responds that there will be an answer, a vision. But until it comes, until that justice, that kingdom of God comes, the righteous shall live by and with faith. That is, faith will be an ongoing way of life. The clear promise is that God's goodness and power will prevail in the end. But the obvious challenge remains to live by trust in not only God, but God's ways through this veil of tears, persistently seeking both God and God's justice through prayer and action, trusting, that is, having faith, that in the end, God's will shall be done in ways and times that we cannot understand. And maybe this is the answer to why we need to persevere in prayer, though I still honestly don't know. Because it can be through our continued striving in prayer, even as we struggle, that we may be sustained and encouraged, might come to know ourselves as God's people in a way that gives us life and hope for our struggles for justice in this world, even through our various experiences of exile and frustration. So this week, I have been thinking more than usual about a saint called Teresa of Avila. And I've actually been thinking about her a lot in the last two years because I'm slowly writing a book that I hope will introduce some of her teachings about our relationship to God and prayer to a new audience. It also happened to be her feast day this past Tuesday, October 15th. And although she is most famous for her mystical experiences that people see as extraordinary, she also speaks very practically about the basic essentials and practices of prayer. And she speaks with a lot of candor and honesty to our own experiences of life and struggle. So one of my favorite stories about her is she traveled a lot. And later in her life, when she was in her 60s, she was traveling and a donkey cart that she was traveling in got knocked over and she fell in the mud. And this was just one example of the kind of crazy things she had to endure through travel all the time. And later that day, she writes that she was praying to God, complaining to Christ about how hard this was, how much she had to struggle through this journey. And she felt that she heard Christ respond to her, Oh, Teresa, 
so do I treat my friends. It's part of fortifying you and your struggle. And she said, well, Jesus, that's why you have so few friends. She had that kind of gumption. She had that kind of straight talk. And that's how she talks to us and her sisters about prayer, too. And I will say this, if there is one characteristic or virtue that she both embodies and urges most when speaking directly to those she hopes to encourage, I would say that it is determination, persistence, striving to continue to grow in our relationship and obedience to God. She wants us to never grow complacent about our prayers or our lives but to know that while we have this life, we must do all we can with the will and determination we have to pursue a deeper understanding of God's will, a deeper alignment with God's will, and then live that out in our everyday actions. So I think if Teresa were a millennial with tattoos on her wrist, on one wrist she would have written, stay humble you lowly worm. And on the other, she would have written, strive onward, you needed friend of Christ. For her, those two things always go together, humility and striving. There is wholeness in them both. And she knew from experience, from abandoning prayer greatly in her 20s and 30s, and yet being still respected and asked for spiritual advice, feeling like she'd lived as a hypocrite, she knew how easy it was to skate along, not really striving. And so the last three decades of her life are full of this teaching to be persistent, to never fool ourselves about what we're really doing or how much determination we really have. And so today, I'd like to share Teresa's most basic teachings on prayer with the hope that it will encourage your own striving and persistence as it has mine. So the first foundation is that Teresa urges us to approach Christ in prayer as a friend. She says this, mental prayer is, in my opinion, nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. And she names and recognizes that it's not necessarily natural to think of the creator of the universe wanting a friendship with us or being able to provide a friendship to us. And that's where she sees the particular gift of Christ, Jesus. She says, in Jesus Christ, God offers souls human friendship as well as divine. She has this lovely phrase. It is for you to look at him, she says. He never takes his eyes off you. It changes our first posture in prayer, doesn't it? If we think that we are reaching out, trying to get God's attention like the unjust judge, I don't even want to start if that's the case because it seems pretty hopeless. 
But if we trust, like Teresa says, that he is already looking at us and it is our responsibility to turn, it changes things. She notices that as with any friendship, prayer develops from initially awkward attempts at mutual knowledge and getting to know one another to a final simplified and intense relationship of complete union or understanding. She insists that an important aspect of prayer is the fundamental truth that God is already close. God is already very near. One time she writes, all the harm comes from not understanding that he is near. So let's say you've gotten there. You're trying to trust that God is near and approach Christ as a friend. Well, then what do you do with your racing and distracted mind? This was something Teresa had things to say. suited, not me, running. And so she says, there are ways in which we can have these galloping horses run even as we pray. And her advice on this is to recite vocal prayer, that is actually say prayers out loud while keeping your attention and your mind and your heart fixed on Christ's presence or God's presence to you as close as your breath. She recommends starting with Basic and familiar prayers like the Lord's Prayer, the Gospels, or portions of the Psalms. She says, say these things aloud, give your horses something to do, and keep your attention focused on Christ. It's one way to begin. For her, this is about striving towards something ancient and essential in our faith. The commandment to love God and then love our neighbor. That is the point of all this striving. She says, I only wish to inform you that in order to profit by this path, the important thing is not to think much, but to love much. And to so do that which best stirs you in love. But perhaps we don't know what love is, she writes. I wouldn't be very much surprised because it doesn't consist in great delight, but in desiring with strong determination to please God in everything we do. These are the signs of love. Don't think the matter lies in thinking of nothing else, or that if you become distracted in your prayers, all is lost. And then finally, I will say this about Teresa's teaching on prayer, something I find most helpful. She reminds us again and again that this is a joint endeavor, a joint effort. God initiates action within our heart just as we turn to God. We are not alone in our striving like the widow who had to pound at the apathetic, unjust judge. Unlike that widow and that judge, as we persist, God lovingly encourages us, strengthens us, responds to us in the ways that we need at the point we are in the journey, persists in shaping us. One of her favorite psalms was this, I will run the way of thy commandments, for thou dost enlarge my heart. 
Do you hear God's agency in that? We persist, but then God has work to do in and on our hearts, too. Finally, our bishop reminded us at our recent clergy gathering that there's something that she's pretty sure no one has ever said ever, and that is, I'm really good at prayer, and it is really easy. No one says that, and I'm not saying that either. I know what it is like to neither persist in prayer nor even believe in the power of persisting in prayer. For much of my Christian life, I admit to you that I used to be the person who would inwardly roll my eyes when it came to meetings or conversations and someone would say, but first we pray, or of course we must pray. I would never roll my eyes outwardly because that would have been disrespectful and would have showed my lack of faith in prayer. But that was my inward posture. In retrospect, although I wouldn't have admitted this either, I think I took Jesus much too literally in this parable today. I did kind of think of God like the unjust judge, and I was not interested in begging. And in a separate matter, I thought God's law was written in scripture just fine. And we did not need any further communication. We just needed to be better at implementing it in a very American way. I believed if we just all tried harder to love God like God said and do the things that God had already told us we needed to do, it would work out. I didn't have this sense that Jeremiah spoke of today, of God writing God's laws on our hearts, of God acting in a way to manifest God's will in and through us. But something in me persisted in seeking God and God's ways, even if for many years I did not think the best way to do that was in prayer. But the funny thing about prayer is it just kept coming up in the Christian tradition. And so about 10 years ago, I took a leap of faith. And this was not just because it kept coming up, but because I had a crisis of integrity around living as a Christian. And so I decided to try to take a leap of faith and pray as if God really was close really did care, really was not like the unjust judge. And over the course of the next 10 years, that first step and the subsequent choices to try again and again when I forget to pray, stop praying, have to find new ways to pray, that journey in prayer has changed everything about my understanding of God's love for us, God's closeness to us and with us, God's goodness. It is changing me still. And it is still a mystery 
I don't understand. So I stand here as a simple witness to what Jesus says, what Teresa of Avila says, and what Jeremiah says. Prayer is not easy, but we must persist. God is not like the unjust judge. God is as steadfast and as close as our very hearts. And that same God wants to write God's ways, God's laws, and God's love for us on our hearts. The good news, my friends, is that the Holy Spirit is persistent in this journey, too. So I promise you, if you turn again and again, no matter how many times you feel like you have to start over, the goodness of God wants to meet you in that place where all of our striving begins. <laughs>